1: Welcome to episode 287 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and I have reached across enemy lines to break down the Barcelona-Bayern-Munich matchup with Jake Fenner from Bavarian Football Works. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me on. Glad to be here. Well, Jake, I should really start with the hard-hitting questions here, so I'll come right out of the gate firing. How afraid are you of Luke de Jong? I mean, how many nightmares
2: has he given you?
1: <laughs> how worried are you?
2: Seeing as Lionel Messi left, I think the only person they could bring in that could rival the, the magic and the fear that uh, is installed on back lines, you had to only look at Luke de Jong. And so I think that that was a perfect uh, pickup, like for like, in my opinion. Uh, I think that for the next 15 years, they're going to say that Luke de Jong has been a better Barcelona player than Lionel Messi by a long shot.
1: Sure. Uh, He will be 46 at that time, but still cracking goals. Yeah, I appreciate you going down that rabbit hole with me. But yeah, so we're going to continue a little bit at Kool-Aid's expense. I want to get the horrible parts out of the way first so that Aids can enjoy this preview and kind of ask what if Barcelona do get a result as we near the end of the show. So going back to the horrible part for Aid's first, on the the Bayern side of things, rather, how much did Bayern fans really care about that 8-2? I know teenagers on the internet enjoyed it, of course at, you know, 8-2 and all the puns and on. But was it just another result in many for one of the best sides and a trouble winning side that we've ever seen? Because it really was just, if anything, a footnote, mm-hmm. to what was an all conquering season?
2: I think that the 8-2 was really the, the cherry on top of the entire season. Because let's keep in mind what that season looked like. They went in with Nico Kovac, who was not a bad manager by any means. He didn't bring out the best in the team but he wasn't a terrible manager. And from the moment that he stepped in, there was a lot of backlash to him coming to the team, even though he was a Bayern Munich player in and of his own right, and he was fantastic while he was a player. It turned out that internally, inside of the locker room, there were a lot of problems and a lot of struggles that ended up leading Bayern down the road to sacking him, right? And Bayern is not a team that, usually operates without having everything lined up, all of their ducks in a row, as it were. So to fire a manager mid-season is something that's rare when it comes to Bayern and something they don't really like to do. And they'll only do it out of necessity, right? Prime example, when they fired Carlo Ancelotti after losing to PSG in, I want to say September of 2017, they had Jopankes on the back burner. So they were able to bring him in for one season, with this situation, I have no clue whether or not they had full trust in Hansi Flick before they named him manager, promoting him from interim uh, like assistant manager. But whatever it did, it worked out. And with all of the turmoil that the team faced early, early on, and then through the pandemic, that was really the icing on the cake. For me as a Bayern Munich fan, I went into that game petrified because I, I, I know that Bayern and uh, Barcelona have a great history of really phenomenal results and fantastic games for both sides. And moments like Bayern beating Barcelona 7-0 en route to winning the Champions League, uh, to Lionel Messi uh, snatching the ankles of Jerome Boateng, right? So it goes back and forth a little bit. And so going into that match, I was afraid of what Messi might do I thought that was really going to be the last time that Barcelona was going to be able to make a really deep run and with the core they had and it turns out I might have been a little bit right on that regard and so when halftime came and we were up I want to say four to one it was it was shocking to me and then I, I described it after the After the fact that it was like watching a car wreck, like I can't take my eyes off of it, but it's a little bit horrifying. I think that is the muted version of what a lot of Bayern Munich fans thought of that game. Most Bayern Munich fans loved it. And I know the whole 19 year olds on the internet is a a big sticking point, but most Bayern Munich fans will point to that as one of the highs of the season. Ignoring like trophy results, just pure games that has to be the number one game on everybody's mind from that season.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of the same faces from the 20 was it 2014 world cup with in Brazil when, when that Mm -hmm. occurred and it was just an onslaught in moments and very similar,
2: very similar.
1: Right. And in that onslaught then happened in what was the 30th minute or, or so when that, when that all turned around and then for Barcelona, you know, even at four, one or four, two. Yeah. It was a four, two at one point when Luis Suarez scored, you know, it, all of a sudden it was the last 10 minutes. Continuous score was a brace the player on loan from Barcelona. And then the, the entire narrative of that destruction is basically set in the last 10 minutes after the white flag had already been flown. Yeah. And, and speaking of, of Hansi flick, I do want to mention too, actually before we do Hansi flick, I, I want to say too, that the history between Barcelona and Bayern Munich, and I'll have a YouTube video out on, on the site tomorrow about this. It's, they haven't faced each other too often. Uh, and obviously with the Champions League being rather new, even going back where there was UEFA cups, they, they met just once and that the first one being a drawback in 1996, but all of their matchups have come in the Champions League era, if you will, and, and mostly in the 21st century. And Barcelona have won two of those. As you mentioned, it was at the Camp Nou, three nothing and four nothing back in 2009. And that, and in, uh, what was it? Yeah. T- in uh, 2015, both yeah. of those wound up being trouble winning seasons for Barcelona. So they really need their best sides to, to get a victory even at home against Bayern Munich. Cause other than that, it's either seven wins for Bar, uh, for Bayern Munich or both teams find a way to get a draw, which I think is what, what Barcelona is looking for in this one, but but yeah, before that. Yeah, please.
2: Interesting point on that regard, right? If to my recollection, right. If you, if it's true that the only, that the teams have only faced each other four times really in the champions league, like, whoever wins that goes on to win the treble because you won the treble in the first season that you mentioned. I forget whether it was 2000, 2000 2009, two, yeah, nine, right? right? Right. And then 2015, we beat Barcelona seven, nothing. I forget whether it was in a single game or on aggregate in 2013 and then went on to win the treble and then eight, two, and then went on to win six trophies in a calendar year. So I find, I find that a little uh, interesting on how that determines the rest of the uh, the results of somebody's season.
1: Right. Yeah. The only, the only time it's not occurring is the first time they met in the Champions League group stage back in 1998. That's the only time mm-hmm. that these two met in the, in the, uh, in the group stage. And it was a four, nothing win for uh, rather, sorry, it was a two, one win for Bayern and a one, nothing win for Bayern Munich. So Bayern getting both of those in the group stage. Yeah. 1998, not really a, the glory years of FC Barcelona, <laughs> but mm-hmm. to, to put that very lightly, it was in between the periods of Cruyff and before the club kind of found itself under, under right card. Then, you know, seven, eight years later, then the Bayern in 1998, if I remember right, it was Bruce Dortmund that were the team kind of on top at that point. And then, but anyway, we're in the weeds. So yeah. I mean, Dortmund,
2: Dortmund had just come off of winning the champions league over Juventus. Right. And then, I mean, the following season was 99 and I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> at all right
1: right you have your own right you have your own demons to talk about and exactly, and all, that exactly. Stuff, right? all right so going back to the A2 unfortunately for kool it's crazy to, to say that that since the A2 both teams have new managers for entirely different <laughs> reasons Kike Seti and yeah. of course uh, unqualified for the Barcelona job we can say that with, with full voice now and then Hansi yes. Flick but with Hansi Flick I mean was he ousted because Nagelsmann was just available and that was always going to, it was written in the stars that was always going to happen or were there other problems with Flick just couldn't seem to get right. But it just seems absurd to me that obviously Barcelona had to get rid of Setien, but Bayern Munich didn't have to get rid of Flick. You could have continued on that journey, Mm -hmm. but for some reason Nagelsmann had to be brought in.
2: So in that regard, Hansi Flick was the first person to announce that he was departing. It wasn't a case of Bayern fired Hansi because I think you would lose a majority of the fan base if you fired Hansi Flay. He was a fantastic manager. He was a manager the players really loved. But at the end of the day, it came down to a lot of disagreements between Hansi and the uh, sporting director, uh, Hassan Salihamidzic or Brazo Salihamidzic. And it was a lot of debate on transfer policy, right? The The rumors were that, uh Hansi wanted to bring in Sergio Dest or Max Ahrens and also Timo Werner and it ended up that Bayern got Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting and Buna Saar now EMCM has done pretty decently for us whenever uh Robert Lewandowski is uh not playing at all but Bayern have really kind of needed a stability uh a stable rock at right back for the last, I would say, two, three seasons. And that's no offense to Benjamin Pavar, but his uh, performances have been passing, not necessarily uh, excelling, if, that, if you follow that metaphor. But Bounassar has been the most non-factor transfer I think I've seen in Bayern Munich over the last eight, nine years. He, he really does not make an impact. I've made the point before that when you field a starting 11 with Bunasar, you're fielding a starting 10 because he really has no impact on the field and on the game. And that really angered Hansi Flick the, the fact that he could not get any, any say in terms of transfers. And Germany, the national team, at the, in the meantime, was having a crisis with their manager, Joachim Löw who after winning the 2014 world cup really just kind of started a slow slide on the back end of uh, his time there. Sure. He did well in the 2016 euros. Yes. He did well at the 2017 confederations cup, but after being completely embarrassed in Russia, he didn't really have any significant wins and didn't do very well in world cup qualifying. So he announced that he was going to retire, after the Euros, which I think came way too late. I think that the DFB should have fired him after the 2018 World Cup. And it gave credence to a lot of rumors. The the poor results gave credence to a lot of beliefs that people think that Hansi Flick did more to win the 2014 World Cup for Germany than Joachim Löw did because of how tactically insightful flick was and how well he got along with a lot of the players and so it had been a dream of hansi's to go back and try and win the world cup on his own with the national team so he left to go ahead and do that now Bayern, looking around wanted to find a coach that fit their ethos that fit with what they were trying to do so they've been long rumored with julian nagelsmann right there's a there's a belief that Bayern decided to completely destroy the rest of their competition by buying out everybody on Leipzig, and I don't necessarily think that's correct. The people that they brought in either fit needs that Bayern had or were Bayern fans from the beginning, right? So Upamecano, they needed a stability uh, or, or a young presence to grow in the roster after losing both Jerome Boateng and David Alaba. So that was uh, like for like, that was decided before Julian Nagelsmann even left. Marcel Zabitzer was born in Austria and has always been a Bayern fan. And Julian Nagelsmann was born and raised in Bavaria. And he was a Bayern Munich fan from when he was young. And Bayern was considering, even before uh, they named Hansi Flick full time manager, that they wanted to hire Julian Nagelsmann to be their head coach back when he was in his really like late 20s, like early 30s. So they've been rumored to be with him for a while. And this was really just all of that coming full circle. It just so happened to be after Leipzig had a really good season defensively. And in that regard, it's kind of unfortunate for them. But at the same time, I don't think there are a lot of fans in Germany that will pity RB Leipzig in terms of how they got brought into the league.
1: grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Yeah, I mean, from an outsider looking in, I think it it is a tad, it is a tad, you know, not confusing, but it's not necessarily a great look. For not that Bayern Munich care, but it's not necessarily a great look when as much as I understand Leipzig is the they are the evil step-witch or the evil stepsister in the Bundesliga because of the way mm-hmm. that they go about their finances. And it's a, and you know, and Bayern Munich who quote unquote does it the right way and is it doing it the right way in a fair way, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever a manager for the second place team goes to the first place team, as well as the starting center back and the starting center midfielder or the captain of a team. There, there's no way to get around that narrative. I understand your explanation wholeheartedly, and so yeah, I, I understand the, the difficulties of trying to not again. Not that Bayern Munich should, should care very much. You want to have the best squad anyway. So mm-hmm. if you get the hottest manager in football, who's what 34 years old or something, or 30, he's been on the he came on the map when he was 28 for Hoffenheim, uh, yeah. and so Nagelsmann completely understand and maybe a little bit of envy because again, when before Ronald Koeman came, there was a hope that Nagelsmann may have his. His head tilted a bit by Barcelona, but that was never to be the case as a Bayern Munich fan growing up in Bavaria. Mm. But I would ask, in a before we get into the tactics itself, but just from a presentation perspective, what makes Nagelsmann's Bayern different than the one under Hansi Flick?
2: He has a lot of rotation amongst youngsters, which... Worked very well at Hoffenheim and works very well with Leipzig's ethos, right? Leipzig don't really field a lot of players above the age of 27. Yeah. I would say Gulaski is one exception, Vili Oban is another exception, but a lot of their players tend towards being younger. And the same was the case at uh, Hoffenheim when he was working with them. And so that is one thing that we've started to see very slowly at Bayern Munich, right? Because we currently have an injury to Benjamin Pavard and we brought in a youngster from the academy named Josef stancic and he's been fantastic so far as a uh, replacement right back. And I think he will probably have a role to play in the future of Bayern Munich because of how well of an impression that he's made not only on the coaching staff, but also on the fans. In regards to tactics on the field Nagelsmann has established a much better pressing game than Bayern had under Hansi and that was noted because last year Bayern gave up like some of the highest amounts of goals in the leagues that we have seen over the last 20 years and it left a bad taste in a lot of fans mouths right the attacking was fine the midfield was stellar and then the back line just Could not keep it together. And now under this new manager, even just in three games, you just see that the pressing, or four games, you just see that the pressing is so much better. The defense is much more quick and responsive on the back line. And in that regard, it's made everything it, it seems that there will be a marginal improvement. And I say marginal for now because it's only four games into this manager's career at Bayern Munich.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue for marginal too for a team that is, again, just a little bit over one season from having won the treble with many mm-hmm. of the same faces, some new. But for that treble winning side and something I would say that for Bayern Munich, you might have to look down the road. When you are an all-conquering team, dealing with the same thing that Barcelona did, where Barcelona managers for the last five, six, seven years have struggled with the aging core personality, uh, personalities in the locker room in recent years, hence what the media dubbed Club de Amigos. But how does Bayern, as a club, deal with their aging players with the rightfully huge egos? And I think probably the best example of this was Manuel Neuer. He saw a... was a new came in from Schalke, and, and Neuer goes, oh, is he to, here to replace me? Get him out of my club. So how yeah. does... How does Bayern Munich as a club just deal with those those aging veterans? And I, I think I do mainly mean Neuer and, and, and Muller, even more so than Jerome Boatang, who I think was a lot easier to and even Alaba, who were again longtime players of Bayern Munich, but a bit easier to, to be shown the door. And obviously Boatang's stuff off mm-hmm. the field made it a lot easier for the club to completely distance themselves from him.
2: Yeah, I I I'm very very glad that Bayern let go of Jerome Boateng after everything that has come out recently about him. I'm I can I can't speak for the entire fan base, I can only speak for myself. I do not want anybody that does things like that to be a part of my club. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of Bayern Munich fans, maybe not all, but a lot of Bayern Munich fans will agree with me. That being said in terms of egos, right? I think the whole situation with Neuer was that a lot of people uh, looked at that as, oh, they're bringing in Nubo to replace him. But the thing that staggered me was they got Nubo in on a free transfer. And then their, their plan in terms of developing him didn't involve loaning him out and no offense to Nubel, but he was nowhere near ready to fully pick up the reins for Bayern Munich, and I think they got in, they brought Nubel in for that exact idea that they eventually would have him replace Neuer. But if we're talking about uh, ego thing, I don't necessarily think that Neuer is the best example because there's really been a fight among Bayern's three goalkeepers behind Neuer, uh, Ron Tobin Hoffman, Christian Trüchte and Nubel to try and fight it out to be the replacement for for Neuer. I think a better example would be uh, Renato Sanchez, uh, who's now at Lille, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a lot of issues with the amount of playing time that he had. And I can understand why any player, especially a young player who got exposed on a world stage very early and was told that he was very good, very early. And he kind of showed that at the 2016 Euros and Byron swooped him and got him for 35 million from Benfica. But the problem was his results on the pitch did not match that. And at the same time, uh, you saw an emergence of Joshua, Kim- or Joshua Kimmich as the best central defensive midfielder in the world. I think there's a lot, I think you could have a very good argument between him and N'Golo Kante for the best central defensive midfielder in the world, which is really funny because three years ago, he was the best right back in the world, in my opinion. And I think you could have an argument with him and Alexander Arnold for that, but I think it's uh, Kimmich
1: just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, up. i I think it's Kimmich, but no, I think, I think, I think if you
2: look at the intangibles, I think that it's Kimmich. Him and Goretzka really, uh, Leon Goretzka really solidified their double pivot in the midfield, and ha- they were crucial and important to Bayern's treble winning, and important to the success Bayern has nowadays. Sanchez didn't really figure into that picture. He was more of a box-to-box player than somebody who was okay with sitting back and then trying to build up more explosively. And he didn't really fit in the roster and he would do really stupid things like after a win complained about the fact that he wasn't getting enough playing time. And it just became a distraction in the locker room to the point where Byron inevitably had to cut their losses. Right. And they, I believe at the end of the day, they thought that Sanchez was a really good player, but they didn't see a path forward for him in the club and they sold him. I think that is the best way that we can talk about Bayern dealing with egos. And I say that because there isn't a club out there, I would argue, that has as close of a connection with the national team as Bayern Munich does. Yeah. And that lends itself to building a lot of team chemistry. So a lot of the players in that Bayern locker room all play on the German national team together. And if they don't play on the German national team, then most of them play on the French national team. So they all know who they are. They've worked together for a while. They've built camaraderie. They know each other's playing styles well, even if they didn't play at Bayern for a long time and they played at other clubs. So they work together and they really are able to defeat ego like, overtaking the locker room by everybody recognizing and establishing who the best players are recognizing and establishing how that wage structure should work out. Like for example, there's, uh, there's nobody at the club that earns more than Robert Lewandowski. And that's really been a determining factor in who Byron has been able to bring in Mm -hmm. so far, because I think that, if Byron goes ahead and gets Erling Haaland, they will have to get rid of Lewandowski because at that point you cannot have those butting heads in terms of salary in yep. the locker room. In terms of aging, I think most players are aware of aging and how to get rid of it or how to not get rid of it, but how to slowly progress in Neuer's case he doesn't think that he's ready to go. And in my opinion, I don't think he's ready to go either. I still think that if not the best, he's one of the top three best goalkeepers in the world right now. And in terms of everybody else, uh, you've seen Thomas Muller become an incredibly important part of the lineup, even as he gets older and older, not only on the pitch in terms of being a talker, calling out, getting assists, scoring goals, but also being somebody that younger players can look up to. So they give older players those leadership roles and they say like, we appreciate you as a player, but at the end of the day, we're trying to keep our club solid for the future. And we recognize that you're an important part about that, but you also need to recognize that your time will eventually come and we need you to be ready for that when that day comes.
1: Yeah, and I do want to get into lineups in a second, but you already did mention Stanišić, who's a young player, right back in for Pavard, who I think Kules didn't know much about, who we'll get to know. But the other one I want to mention is Jamal Musiala. He's starting to get some buzz this year, Mm -hmm. much like Pedri did last year. So, I mean, I do want to say for all the Bayern Munich fans, you know, uh, enjoy the young player, but I think Pedri is uh, got the inside track as, you know, the the next midfielder, if you will. But for Musiala, who can play on the wing, he can play as an attacking midfielder, does a lot Mm -hmm. of different things. I think he really is that antidote, right? That if you have a a young player, he's 18 still, right? And, And so when you have a young player like that, who is already being christened to be a future star. And I think there's a big difference too, where, as you mentioned, looking on the outside in, that Renato Sanchez was not given the keys to the, the castle or the, you know, the keys to the car right away. And they said, you're going to have to earn your spot. And it seems like the locker room and those around Musiala have kind of accepted him where he played as a bench player last year at 17, came along slowly, chose Germany as a national team, uh, which I think really goes a long way. And and so Musiala, what can Kules, or what should Kules be afraid of when looking down the barrel and seeing another prodigious 18-year-old on the other side?
2: You can make the argument that Jamal Musiala is the best winger right now on Bayern Munich. That is what I have to say about that. So consider what that means. On a team with Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, and Leroy Sané, Jamal Musiala might be the best winger out of all of them. And keeping in mind, last year, a majority of his time was playing central attacking midfielder. And you're right about appreciating young players for where they are. The Bundesliga turns out a lot of really great attacking central midfielders. And right now, I could argue that there are three in the form of uh, Musiala, Borussia Dortmunds, Jude Bellingham, and Bayer Leverkusen's Florian Wirtz, who will all go on to be very good attacking midfielders. Who are young right now and have time to prove themselves and are proving themselves to the world, much like Pedri is doing at Barcelona. For Musiala, he has shown beyond great passing and great pace, incredible vision, equ- incredible awareness on the pitch of where to be, where to send balls, how the play is building up. And I think those intangible mental attributes are incredibly important for a developing young player and looking at him, I could see him being a player that if he decides to leave Bayern Munich and keeping in mind, Bayern Munich is really not a selling club. They haven't really ever been a selling club. He will, if he, if he has to get sold, he will eventually get sold for, I would say above 75, 80 million because he, he, in my mind is going to be, if, if nobody else comes in because Florian Wirtz has been linked to move to Bayern Munich. If nobody comes in to replace Thomas Muller, eventually, I think that Musiala will be that Muller replacement that we've been looking for, I guess, for a number of years, which is not to push out Muller in a lot of ways. He's the most important player on the team. Uh, for those intangibles that I had mentioned before they call him radio muller because of how often that he calls things out and that's integral you saw you saw it in the performance of the german national team right for a while uh, they banned jerome boateng and mats homos and thomas muller from being selected right. and germany suffered aggressively under that thomas muller gets brought in for the euros i think if it wasn't for thomas muller they wouldn't have made the round of 16 I think that they would have gotten knocked out in the group stage if it wasn't for Thomas Müller. And he's shown fantastic, similar abilities Musiala has that he's able to watch build up and be able to recognize where to go or where to send other players. And you will see that and Bayern fans will see that over time uh, as becoming incredibly important for this game. I don't know if he's going to start, but if he does, expect him to play for a while, and he'll be he'll be fun to watch. He'll be fun to watch. I have to say that.
1: Well, yeah, that leads me into the next point. That yeah, I want to hear your your eleven for Bayern, and then I'll give the fans here on our podcast my again. I guess altered eleven from the show that you would have heard on Friday because of it seems more and more injuries are coming out, even for both clubs with Serge Canabry now questionable yep. for that match as well. So yeah, what is your Bayern Munich uh, 11 heading into this one? We already mentioned a bunch of those players, but yeah, mm-hmm. let's give it to us. And it's got to be a 4-2-3-1, right?
2: Yep, yep, 4-2-3-1. Bayern also has a lot of injuries. There's uh, questions about Luca Hernandez. There's questions about Leroy Sané. As I mentioned, Pavard is injured. So my idea of a lineup is that I think either Davies or Hernandez will be safe to go for the start. I'm going to say Davies, but really it's a coin flip. So I'd go Davies on the left, and it's assumed that Neuer is in goal. Sure. Uh, Davies on the left. You got a tandem in the middle of Nicolas Sule and Upe uh Stancic on right back, and then the double pivot in the middle of Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. Miller in like a number ten role. Robert Lewandowski up top. I'd say Jamal Musiala on the left wing, and then Leroy Sané on the right wing. So, and I'll even add that this has probably been Leroy Sané's best season in a Bayern uniform so far. He's yeah. shown so much better mental fortitude. Last year he would hold the ball forever, dribble in, and like try to do an Aryan Robin, and then blast the ball. Blast the ball like. 20 feet over the bar and this year it seems that he's calmed down from all of that because even last season with it being a poor season from his standards for the standard of that buyer and bought him for 50 million euro he's done well like even that season like i he picked up decent stats in scoring and assisting so this season i think a lot of people expect better out of him and so far we have every reason to believe that he'll actually achieve that
1: yeah, as you were saying, I was reminded that Leroy Sane also got his start at Schalke, as did Goretzka, as did Neuer. And right, if you're Bayern mm-hmm. Munich, why do you watch any other teams other than Schalke, Dortmund, and Leipzig? I, I don't see why you <laughs> just looking at around the team and then yeah, then watch games at your own uh-huh. academy. And I, I think
2: convince. I think that people that are fans of the Bundesliga, fans of Bayern Munich specifically, I I have a theory that they don't follow Bayern Munich because They, they want to, I I imagine there's a lot of people that say, oh, I want to be quirky. I don't want to root for a Chelsea or a, or a Manchester club or anything like that. I'm going to be quirky. I'm going to root for a special German team and they'll pick the best team in Germany. Uh, I think that people that enjoy watching the Bundesliga enjoy the stories and the fans behind every single club and to that end people will watch big games right there were a number of Bayern fans that I know that were watching Bayer Leverkusen, Borussia Dortmund at the weekend and uh, short Dortmund was one of the clubs that you mentioned but there's if there's a big game most Bundesliga fans will want to tune in for those games even if everybody thinks that Bayern wraps up the league early, right? Bayern does kind of, in a lot of cases, la- wrap up the league early, but what, these last couple of seasons, it hasn't been decided until I would say like the final four weeks to three seasons ago, it wasn't decided until the final day. And keeping in mind those positions two through seven in the Bundesliga always swap. There are right. always, different combinations each year. So,
1: yeah, Dortmund was actually in danger of missing the Champions League for a considerable amount of time in the spring yeah. until finally turning around. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think there's... there was a
2: while there was a while that VfB Stuttgart was going to qualify for the Champions League and they right. haven't done that in years. So, it always changes. It's always a very volatile mid-table. And I know that a lot of people in the Premier League will be like, "Oh, well, you know, we don't have the same champion win." Yeah, but you have the same five win every year, right? And Bayern will win, right? But just looking back at all of the teams that have played in the Champions League and the Bundesliga in the last five years, right? Of course, you got Dortmund, but there's also München Gladbach and Leverkusen and uh, Freiburg was competing in the Europa League and doing very well. And I tracked Frankfurt. Uh, been good, yeah. Right? Like Schalke yeah, I mean- before they decided to implode, right? They all, they all contribute something different to the tapestry that is the Bundesliga and most times they will swap and uh, move within themselves at the top of that table. So I think people appreciate that the mid table and upper mid table battles, I think, more than the title race in the Bundesliga. But then again, I'm also speaking from the advantage of being. A yeah, I
1: mean. As a neutral, I, we just, I think the rest of us around the world just want to see Bayern bleed a little bit in the way that Juventus...
2: I will also take that, right? I've, yeah. been, I've been saying for years that Bayern Munich needs to lose the Bundesliga. and Right, I just know, once. Just I once
1: to, to upset the, the hierarchy and then they can go back to do it. Because the same thing as Barca and Real Madrid, that mm-hmm. it can't always be... I mean, even as a Barca fan, I don't like the idea of the duopoly. So at Barca Madrid, I yeah. mean, if... Anyone but Real Madrid wins a Liga. I would prefer if Barca won it, but fine. <laughs> Just don't let it be Real Madrid. And that winds up being the sentiment, I think, for most Cule. So I want to give our starting letter, at least the one that I think is Kuman's going to go with, because unlike... Even the one that you mentioned, it doesn't sound like there's too many injuries around Bayern Munich, even without Serge Gnabry, and even with Pavard not completely healthy, and even with the changes in the offseason, sure. But that 11 is pretty fantastic itself. And I think for Barcelona, uh, if there are any Bayern Munich fans listening to this for that case, Barcelona dealing with all the injuries they have, I think Ronald Koeman might be forced to start three at the back due to all the injuries of fullbacks and wingers. No brothwaite maybe out for a few months now, maybe no Dest, a hobble Jordi Alba, no Antifati, no Dembele. So, I mean, if I'm Bayern Munich, I'm licking my chops on the flanks uh, yeah. and just looking at the lack of anything that Bayern, that Barcelona have. So it's basically Coutinho, Memphis, Luke de Jong, and Yusuf Demir to take up space on the wings, unless Sergio Roberto is trusted there, which I'm not so sure about that that he will be. So I, I think, and also with uh, Eric Garcia, he's not going to be my starting eleven. Just you know, you'd think that he would start to play through the pressure, that being Eric Garcia, but I'm weary of putting him up against Muller and Lewandowski. I think I'd rather prefer the athleticism of Ronald Araujo. And yeah, with the injury to Brothwaite, I expect that it's no longer going to be a 4-3-3. The other big factor being Dest, who, yeah, Barcelona got him over Bayern Munich, but kool aids are still waiting for him to make the improvement that I would, I mean, as an American, you know, just like you, that I want him to be the best player he would be. That's why yeah. I actually figured, I said on this show that I can't imagine him choosing Barca, but I'm really glad he did. All that said, I assumed he would take Bayern because of what they can offer him in terms <laughs> of personal improvement. That said, I think it's going to be a 3-5-2 with Ter Stegen, and then P.K. and gaith at the back, as the back three, Alba, P- Pedri, Busquets, Frankie de Jong, and Sergio Roberto, basically across of the five with Roberto and De Young. I would actually assume Roberto might even be the midfielder and De Young will shade out a little bit farther to the wing. I can see that. And then up top, it'll be Memphis with a free roll and then Luke De young as just a big body, number nine, playing yes. his first game for Barcelona. So yeah, that'll be interesting if that... I, I can't imagine looking at the talent that is available unless Coutinho is a shock starter somewhere. I can only assume that that with who is healthy is going to be the starting 11 for Barcelona. So that said... Mm-hmm. That is an 11 that does, I know, as a Bayern Munich fan, does not make you quake. It does not keep you up at night. However, if Barcelona already gets some kind of result, as Bruce and Gladbach did to start the season, that was a month ago. Bayern seemed to have gotten all fantastic results since then, including the 4 1 demolition of RB Leipzig yesterday morning. But it was a draw against Bruce and Gladbach. What do you think would need to have happened if Bayern? Uh, to Bayern's side if Barcelona were to get some kind of result. That being even a 2-1 victory, a 2-2 draw, whatever it may be.
2: So I will tell you what Bayern needs to do, and then I will tell you the history as to why they will not. So I think their midfield right? The only way that anyone will ever be able to dominate Bayern Munich is if they dominate the midfield, right? You saw that even, even in the fact that they got knocked out by PSG last season, Bayern still dominated the midfield in that second game. With missing Lewandowski, that was incredibly important that they managed to do that, and they did. It was unfortunate that their first goal went in in the, um, in the home leg that they played, but even still, they had a fantastic midfield, PSG did, right? You had Verratti in there, and that, that entire midfield is well-built, anyone that has any chance of beating Bayern has to disrupt that midfield. So you look at München Gladbach. They have some fantastic midfielders there. Neuhaus, uh, Florian Neuhaus, Lars Stendel. They have a fantastic dennis Denis Zakaria, right? They have a fantastic midfield that can all uh, counter and possess pretty well in the middle of the field. So looking at this Barcelona team, if I was a Barcelona fan, and I like Barcelona for my Spanish team because I could not be asked to root for Real Madrid... It's not why we brought it on the show, but I will take it. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, The enemy of our enemies are our friends, basically. So I'm very scared about Busquets if I'm a Barcelona fan. I know that he's been a stable rock, but with how quickly Bayern presses up, I don't know if he has a chance. Even, Even against players like... Goretzka and Kimmich, right? Keeping in mind, Kimmich is a right back and Goretzka played as an attacking midfielder option at Schalke. They're both very very fast. Uh so it's tough. It's tough for people to win in the midfield. If I'm looking at anybody, I'm looking at uh Frankie De Jong and it's entirely based on what your assumption is, right? Is De Jong going to swing out to the wing or is he going to play in the center? as much as Sergei Roberto might be a detriment on the wing, I would need Frankie de Jong to be in the midfield, right? He, you need you need him there to win those battles against Kimmich, against Goretzka, if he can, against Müller. So to me, that is the way that I could see Barcelona getting a result. With that being said, Bayern Munich has a very long history of success in the first game of the group stage. So, I want to play this quick game with you, right? I'm going to tell you the last I'm going to have you guess the last time that Bayern Munich lost in the first game of the group stage. And I will give you a hint. I will tell you the name of the team, but you have to guess the season, okay? All right, let's do it. The team they played and lost to was Deportivo La Coruña. So that would probably be 2000 and 2 or 2003 maybe. That's it. That's exactly it. The last time Bayern Munich lost the first game of the group stage was the 2002-03 season. And then since then they haven't failed to win. Allow me to put that again. They haven't drawn, they haven't lost. They have won every single game since then. They did not play in the Champions League in the 2007-08 season, right? So since that loss, a 2-1 win over Celtic, a 1-0, a 1-0 win over Maccabee Tel Aviv, a 1-0 win over Club Bruges, a 4-0 win over Spartak Moscow, a 1-0 win over Staya Bucharest in the 08-09 season, and then from that point on, Bayern successively qualified. So then it was a 3-0 over Maccabi Haifa, a 2-0 over Roma, a 2-0 over Villarreal, a 2-1 over Valencia, a 3-0 over Sesca Moscow, a 1-0 over Man City, a 3-0 over Olympiacos, a 5-0 over Rostov, a 3-0 over RSC Anderlecht, a 2-0 over Benfica, a 3-0 over Red Star of Belgrade, and a 4-0 over Atletico Madrid. In 17 first games in the group stage, they have an aggregate of 42-2. to
1: so well, the, the interesting stat that there is I'm interested to know between other than Man City, and Atletico Madrid, I don't think you mentioned a single team that finished second in their group. And that's going to be the real question for Barcelona. And I think the Benfica big context of 18, this game.
2: 19, uh, Benfica did in 1819, but even okay. beyond that, right? Roma's not a bad team. No. Valencia from 2012-13, not a bad team. So yes, you're right that a lot of the games are cupcakey but i would challenge you to find me a tougher game than playing away to red star belgrade or olympiakos on a champions league night. Yeah.
1: Well, again, i'm going to strain your uh, your final point, you know, through the optimism strainer and i actually agreed with you that if barcelona would get a result, Frankie Young is going to have to probably be the best player on the field, which he for barcelona has been already this season. He's one of been one of the bright spots to start the year. But yeah, Frankie Young is going to have to be better than Kimmich, better than Goretzka. And and Sergio Busquets cannot be. The Sergio Busquets that gets count on, like that could cut out in the counter attack as we have seen so far. So usually, I like to wish my guests, you know, best of luck with the matchup. But I'll say best of luck to Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga and best of luck to Bayern Munich. Not that they need any of my luck and support, but uh, best of luck to them in the Bundesliga as well as as the rest of the Champions League matchups that aren't against Barcelona. So Jake, uh, nice. also best of luck to you again as you guys continue on with the Bavarian football works. Uh, you guys are doing a great job over there. So yeah, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: And so that'll wrap up another edition of our show, The Barcelona Podcast. Make sure you give uh, Jake a follow on Twitter. That's Jefferson Jake Fenner uh, on Twitter or Bavarian Football Works works as well. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod. You can join our closed Facebook group Barcelona podcast, answer those questions. I let you in. Patreon, YouTube, you know where we are. And again, I will also have basically this conversation condensed via either YouTube, but also as a a special little uh, preview as well. That'll be out tomorrow. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. The Barcelona Barca.